morning, everybody. Um, I love that statement. We can experience to have a peaceful confidence in who we are because of the one who loves us. Amen. A peaceful confidence. And I don't know if you've been paying attention. We were singing, yes, but you already heard a sermon today. So the sermon is in those last few songs. And as Nate and then Brian, Pastor Brian was sharing, um, there is a God who was, has a 6,000 year in the scriptures. We can go back 6,000 years to the days of Abraham. And follow the storyline and see there is a God who has a 6,000-year reputation of being faithful. Of being faithful. Of being holy. Of being righteous. Of being good. Of being generous. And so really, there's two things we can set the footing of our life upon to try to have peace. We can either base our feet, set our feet of our life, and base our peace upon a 6,000-year reputation of a God who is consistently perfect and good and faithful. Or... I can set my feet on my own reputation of how well I can be consistently good and righteous and perfect and faithful. And let me tell you, in my own experience, I won't speak for you, this reputation isn't quite as good as that one. All right? There is inconsistency. There is, uh, uh, at times, unfaithfulness. I am moody. Ask my family. I can be moody. Don't ask them, actually. They don't need the help. Um, I'm moody. I'm emotional. I'm, I'm inconsistent. And I am not a trustworthy place to base my peace and my life upon. But with those last two songs and even Pastor Brian's words there during the offering thought, are, there is a sure and steady place to rest your life. And it is the place that for 6,000 years, people like you and me have found security in that place. And it is in the faithfulness of God. Um, so before we cruise ahead into today's message, I, I want to anchor ourselves there because that's what it's really about. We, we can have peaceful confidence in who we are because of the one who loves us. And because of the one who has redeemed us and forgiven us. So let's pray and then get into today's message. All right, Lord, we love you. We need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. We need you right now. No one here needs Caleb. No one here needs me to be impressive. What we all need is we need to experience you. We need to better understand you. We need to understand the gospel about you. So Lord, I pray that I'd get out of your way and you would make our lives more sturdy because of the revelation of truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're wrapping up this series, Unashamed. And as we do, don't worry, it's all going to be tied into being unashamed. But just first, I want you to get your mind thinking a little bit about someone who inspired you when you were younger at some point in your life. Maybe they're an inspiration to you right now. Someone who inspired you. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's a parent or a family member or a mentor or a boss. You name it. Someone who inspired you. And when you think about that, let's say, for instance, with a coach who inspired me when I was younger— is that for them to inspire me means that they presented a vision to me of a way of playing basketball or baseball that was better than the way I was currently playing it. There was a better version of playing baseball than the way Caleb was playing baseball. And the coach who inspired me created this vision of what it could look like to play baseball. Fundamentals and passion and zeal and and dedication and all this vision of it. And then in in inspiring me, he didn't just cast that vision. He invited me in the way to develop into that way, that kind of a baseball player. All right. Now that's a little rant there, but I want us to think about that in terms of inspiring. Because I'm going to talk about being inspiring and I don't want you to think I mean being impressive. All right. 
Being impressive just says, look how awesome I am, and you could never do this, you nerds. All right? All right, that's not it. But I just wanted to say that right now. It just feels good to say that from up here. You're not nerds. You're beloved of the Lord. Well, some of you are, but we won't go into it. All right. So don't think I'm saying impressive, because inspiring, someone who inspires you, the inspiration comes with an invitation to experience life the way that person is. That you see a model and you hear an invitation that there is a better way to live whatever it is that you're living. This person is now inviting you to join them in that better way. And in the Bible, as we read through it, in the New Testament, there's this guy named Paul that travels around the Roman Empire. And when it comes to our story in the Bible, in that Roman Empire, he was inspiring people everywhere. He would go city to city all through the Roman Empire and he would present to them a version of life that is better than they knew could exist. A version of life that was marked by relationship with God and was marked by a freedom from shame for all of our sins. In that relationship, he he said, not only am I showing you a way to be peaceful and confident and secure in a relationship with a God who cares for you, but here is the way into that. Here is the way of that life, because you're invited to live it too. And Paul traveled all around, and that's what he did everywhere he went. He preached the gospel, and he lived the gospel out in his life. He demonstrated a way of life that was different and was better than all these people in Ephesus and Colossae and Corinth and Philippi and, and Thessalonica had ever seen before. And people started to believe this gospel and follow him into that way of life with Jesus faith in Jesus and following Jesus. And later on in his life, Paul writes these letters as he's doing this ministry. And he writes letters to churches and to leaders of churches to say, hey, this is what it's about. That what I did when I came to your city is what you're to do in your neighborhood and your family and your workplace and in your city. You're to inspire people that they might find a way of invitation into a better kind of life marked by freedom from sin, freedom from shame, and relationship with God. And so Paul, he writes these letters, and the first one we're going to look at is 1 Timothy, and he writes this one to a leader of a church, a leader of churches. So he writes to him in 1 Timothy, Paul is writing this guy named Timothy, who's the leader of churches in a city of 250,000 people called Ephesus. And all he's doing here is just laying out, here's the point, and here's how you can get distracted from the point of your life in a world that doesn't know God. And here's what he says. Don't let them waste their time. The them here is the church and the leaders of the church. Don't let them waste their time. And so here's the point I want to hit right away. There is a version of Christian life that is a waste of time when it comes to what our mission in this world is. There's a reason we are still alive and didn't go to heaven the moment we believed in Jesus. There's a purpose to our lives, but there is a way of life that is a waste of time on this earth. And here's what he says. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. Now we could dig into those and go way into those words, what they mean, but here's the basics of it. What he's saying is they're they're wasting their time on things that might be myths and things that make them look good, pedigree. And don't waste your time on this earth, doing that in your city, he says. These things only lead to meaningless. Say meaningless. meaningless. Say meaningless. meaningless. All right, yeah, there we go. I always like to say it twice. All right. Speculations which don't help 
people live a life of faith in God. Or at River Run, we like to always say, faith isn't just belief, it's trust in God. So don't spend your time on meaningless things that might be or that make you look good. Those things don't help people trust God. And so therefore, they're a waste of our time. And Paul keeps going, and he says it's the purpose— Next verse, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers, everybody who believes in Jesus in that city of Ephesus and everywhere else in the world, would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. They've turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless, say it. Our, oh, you guys are good. Meaningless discussions. They missed the whole point. So you hear him just driving home right at the start of this letter. Paul, by the way, is now in a, a house arrest in Rome. He doesn't know if he'll ever be back to these Christians again. And he's writing this letter because he's concerned that people are missing the whole point. They are wasting their time because they are spending their life in a way that is meaningless when it comes to helping others trust in God. And it's a reminder to them that, hey, Paul's, whenever Paul was in the city, he was there for one reason. He wanted people to trust in God for salvation, for freedom, for life, both now and eternally. He says, don't waste your time on meaningless things. And his point is, is this. And he uses in the middle there this word genuine faith. And what he shows us is that inspiring others, go ahead and go to that slide, that's fine. It's my bad. Inspiring others to trust God requires genuinely trusting him yourself. There's meaningless things, but here's the real thing. The whole point of what I want the church to live is a love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. Now that word genuine is the Greek word. Get ready for this because I was terrible at Greek in seminary and I'm terrible at Greek now. All right? But I want to hear the word. It's anipokritos. Anipokritos. Now, everyone. You're welcome. All right. Anipokritos. Now, here's why I'm saying that. Anipokritos is the opposite word of another Greek word, hypocritos. Hypocritos. Now you might understand the English word that comes from hypocritos. Hypocrite. The thing I was, I, I'm very good at, and I have been good at. I practiced for years. All right. Anipokritos means not or anti-pokritos. Hypocrite was, was actually a word from the theater, and I've talked about that here before. It's an actor. It's a performer that's trying to fake being something to get the praise of people. And Paul says, if you're going to be those who inspire others to trust in God, then you've got to be anti-performance, anti-acting, anti-fake. And at the core of this, it says that word genuine, which means unfeigned, undisguised, sincere, or the, the word I like is authentic. Authentic. And what Paul is really saying is, hey, here's the point. Here's the way to live in the world in, in, in a way that is holy and that is a witness and will influence the world so you can help others learn that they can trust God, is to be authentic people in a world of actors. Be authentic people in a world of actors. Now, go the next slide here, you'll see that. And, and, and here's, here's what I want to say. Hypocrites, we get the bad rap on that, all right? Like Christians are always called hypocrites. Just if you didn't know that, you're called a hypocrite sometimes by people that don't like this whole Jesus thing, all right? Um, 
And part of that's my fault. I'm sorry. For about 20 years, I was really good at it. And I convinced people that Christians are hypocrites. But hypocrites isn't—that's not exclusive to Christians. Paul would say, look, here's the reality. Everybody's a hypocrite until God heals you of shame. Everyone's a hypocrite. Everyone's acting and trying to present a version of themselves that isn't really the core authentic version of themselves. They're trying to hide some part of their past that they're ashamed of. They're trying to hide some weakness and flaw they currently have so that they will have a better reputation and be more popular, be more liked, be more loved. Everybody's a hypocrite. And Paul says, in a world of actors, the people who can have the greatest influence are those who are authentic. Authentic people who are unashamed of being who they are in Christ. Authentic people in a world of actors. But the only people who won't, who who can not be fake, the only people who aren't fake are those who don't, who know it's not necessary, who don't feel they need to be fake. In order to do that, you got to be free from shame. Freedom from shame releases us to be authentic. And Paul, Paul says, hey, let me now show you in 1 Timothy, eight verses later, he says, and here's how I share the gospel about some of what you're all ashamed of and how we want to be actors about our past. And he says, here's my message in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16. He says, he, that's God, he considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though that's a contrast to say the next thing, it doesn't even make sense in light of even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. And if you don't know what blaspheme means, it means, he says, even though I used to say Christ is the enemy, he considered me trustworthy. And he called me and appointed me to serve him, to share his message to the world. He goes on and says, I persecuted his people, which means I treated his people like the enemy. But, contrast, God had mercy on me. And he says, oh, how generous, as Pastor Brian was saying, oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. And then he continues and says, why God did this? Go to the next slide. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. In other words, he's saying, hey, this is a phrase that every Christian needs to know and say, and it is always true. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners meaning to liberate people who are ashamed. And he says, I'm the worst of them all. I'm the worst of them all, but God had mercy on me, the worst of them all, so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Do you hear in this this language that Paul is using, he's saying the, the way that my life could be a a testimony to the world to come and believe in Jesus, is that I was a prime example of the mercy that God shows. But the only way he could be a prime example of the mercy God shows is that he became unashamed of his past. This isn't the way. I know we've all heard testimonies and people proclaim, but this isn't the way in the Roman world that you would win the popularity of people to be a spiritual leader, an insightful person to follow, is by telling them, hey, I, I, would, I would have killed Jesus if I could have. And, and, and because I couldn't, I found those who believed in Jesus and I killed them. And I threw them in prison and I beat them and I pulled their families apart and I threw some of them in prison. That's me, Paul says. 
He says, I've been forgiven. And when I met this Jesus, he didn't shame me. He liberated me through his grace. And so we see Paul, he could help others trust God by being unashamed of his past sin. Unashamed of his past sin. And isn't that true? Like, it's really hard. to. Sh- one of the most powerful things we all have to share the gospel, share the good news of Jesus with someone else, is the willingness to, to with peace and confidence, tell the worst of our past and not feel shamed while we do it, not be embarrassed to say, you know, let me tell you about this and this and this, and here's where I was at, and here's, here's what I brought to the table when it came to me and Jesus. So don't think that I... The reason Paul could preach a gospel to say Jesus Christ came to save sinners and everyone could feel welcomed to trust in Jesus and be forgiven is because Paul says, hey, have you ever tried to kill Jesus? You ever ripped a family apart and thrown, thrown the dad in prison so the rest of the family was starving because they were impoverished? You ever done that? That's what I've done. And I've been welcomed and forgiven in this family. So surely you can be too. And, and Paul wrote another letter about it, 10 years before this to a city that's probably the most like our American culture. Uh, uh, Arrogant, prideful, performance-oriented. Hey, look at us. Look how awesome we are. And we've done a series here before out of Corinthians. But he wrote the letter of of 1st and 2nd Corinthians to this church there. And there they had like the highest athletes, the the greatest athletic accomplishments, like an Olympics there, sort of. They had like the, the greatest universities, so like Ivy League, education, think about that, or you know, the authors and scholars were there and they'd meet just to talk about how smart they were, and the political leaders. I mean, it was just full of people trying to be impressive. And Paul went there and brought the gospel of a, of a Christ who saves sinners. And he writes to them this culture where everybody's used to trying to brag about something. And here's what Paul said about himself. Look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 5 and 6. He says, I will boast. Everybody's boasting in town about something. I'll boast about my weaknesses. What? He says, if I wanted to boast, I'd be no fool in doing so because I'd be telling the truth. Now, what's he saying there? Paul's saying, look, if I thought my life was about winning your approval and getting you to think I'm awesome, I've got the stuff I could bring up. I've got the education I could tell you, my grades I could tell you. I've got the talent I could show you. I've got the family background that would make me look the best. I've got the clothes. I, got, I, I could make you be impressed with me. So I, I won't do it. I will not boast about the things that make me look strong. He says, because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can simply see in my life and hear in my message. Paul says, I want people to trust in God. And and guess what? It's not going to do them any good if I present them the gospel while saying, and look how great I am. I'm better than you. No, I will brag about the stuff that exposes that I am weak in order that people would just simply see in my life and through the message that there's a God worthy of trust. He goes on, and in verse 7, he does this, he talks about this weird thing, a thorn in his side, and we don't know exactly what that is, but something that he struggled with in his life. Even when he was writing and ministering and traveling around as a missionary, we don't know, was that, that he, was be, he was mistreated all the time? Was it that he had a physical health problem? Was it the struggle with temptation and sin that he still felt that was there? We don't know for sure, but what we do know 
Is it something he begged God to take away from him because he felt weak? And look at he says three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. There's something in his life that made him feel weak that three different times he says, I threw myself before the Lord and said, God, please, uh, if I'm going to minister your gospel, like how can I keep carrying this with me? I need you to take this away from me so I won't feel weak. I won't be weak. And he says, and here was God's answer all three times. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So Paul says, you know how I responded when I got that answer three times? Well, now I boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. So the power of Christ can work through me. See, Paul helped others trust God, not only by being unashamed of his past sin, but by being unashamed of his present weakness. His present weakness. You know, one of the first places he went on a mission trip, he says he ended up having to stay because he got sick. And so he stayed there and they helped take care of him while he's not even at home. And they had to like bring him food and get him medical care. He said he had problems when he was there. When Paul's writing this, he's arrested and he's sitting in a house arrest in Rome. And people have to bring him food. They have to bring him uh, clothes to wear. I mean, he's shackled to a a Roman soldier and can't leave a house. I mean, they have to bring him money. He needs help. And you never see Paul be like, shh, I don't want you to know that I'm weak. In fact, in Romans, he says, look, I wrestle with sin in Romans 7. To this day, I wrestle with sin and temptation. And I can't wait to be liberated from this struggle with sin. He says, who will deliver me from it? He says, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Someday I'll be completely liberated from this body that still wrestles with sin. See, Paul was unashamed of his present weakness. And not only that, but he says, hey, let me remind you of something, Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he opened up and he told all the Christians in this, and and you need to think about this, like, I mean, they just got in from like their athletic accomplishment. They're wearing their medals as they come to the church, right? They got their, they got their like, uh, whatever their business, like their, their, their clothes that show like, hey, here's my pins of accomplishment. Uh, They, they coming in wearing their graduation gown, right? From the, whatever, they went to Harvard or something. You know, they were coming in there and the whole culture is, hey, let's brag about what makes us great. And Paul writes to them and says, hey guys, remember, few of you are wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God calls you. This is likely hyperbole, meaning what he's really saying is, ain't none of y'all great. That might not be the actual Greek, but close. Ain't none of y'all great. None of you are here because you're great, because you're awesome, because you're so powerful. In fact, look at God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. In other words, what Paul's saying, hey, when you think about how you came into relationship with God, don't think about that you impressed him and he saw your potential and he was like, oh, Caleb, I know you're nervous in speech class, but you're going to be so good at talking someday. So I pick you. No. Mm -mm. Paul says, no, this is how you need to remember it. Caleb, when you were riddled with shame and insecurity, addicted to sin and broken in pieces, 
and you'd lay in your room at night crying because you didn't know what to do, and you'd go out every weekend, and you'd chase some kind of way to feel somewhat valuable, God chose you in your weakness. Chose you in your weakness. And Caleb, let's have an honest assessment of you right now. That when you're feeling anxiety and you're having a hard time sleeping on a Thursday in the middle of the week when you got to preach on Sunday, or you teach in the morning, but you yelled at your kids when you shouldn't have, or you're wrestling with temptation and sin and brokenness in your own heart as you walk through life, or you're—that's the one that still belongs to me. And he says, because I called you then and I hold you that way now, it says this then. So no one, next verse says, no one can boast. No one can boast in the presence of God. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and he freed us from sin. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, you guys, this is like the best thing ever. This is a a life-changing reality. And I don't care how many times you think you've heard this. We all need to hear it again. Because I look in the mirror and my natural instinct when I look in the mirror is to think I either hid my, the worst of my past from God and that's why he loves me. Or, or he just doesn't know how weak I am right now and that's why he loves me. And that is not true. That's a lie. But when we realize we are loved by God, not because our flaws are hidden, but because God's grace is enough, it will set us free. It does two things for us. One, it sets us free from being ashamed. We don't need to cower ourselves around going like, oh man, I lost my temper this week. I hope nobody at church finds out. You know? And it also sets us free from performing. Sets us free from trying to convince everyone we're great. Because guess what? The whole story started with us being weak. And the best way God's power is seen through us is by saying, I'm still weak right now in my own strength. See, unashamed people, they don't feel the need to perform. And so we can be authentic people in a world of actors. And what the Bible calls that is we can be holy. Priestly is what it says in the Old Testament. You can go out into the world and present a different kind of life because you have a different kind of God and it invites others to trust the same God you speak on behalf of. In our life, my life, we have enough energy and resources and time. We have the potential to tell the world only one of these two things. We can either invest all our energy and all our time and all our words and all our performance in trying to convince the world, I'm awesome and you should love me. Or to tell the world, God is awesome and you should trust him. You can't tell both stories with your life. I can't tell both stories with my life. We can only tell one of those. Well, Paul would say, tell this story because you don't need this. You're loved by God. Not as you ought to be, but as you are. You are loved by God. You're brought near to him. You are perfected in him. You've got eternal life in him. He, he sees you as you are. And he will transform you and change you all through your life. But it will be his strength, not yours. You don't need this. So tell this story. 
tell this story to the world. And what it looks like to tell that story to the world, Paul calls it the ministry of reconciliation, the gospel, the message of reconciliation. And look at this as we wrap up this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 through 19. So this is the second letter, again, that Paul wrote there to the Corinthians. And here's what he says. First, he focuses on them being freed from shame. And he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Free from our past shame. Unashamed of our past. Because we're a new creation in Christ. That doesn't define us. And all of this is a gift from God. Who brought us back to himself through Christ. And he says this. And God is not done there. And God has given us this task. This is our assignment in the world. This is why when we put faith in Jesus, God doesn't snatch us out of here like some, in some UFO and take us to heaven. This is the task we have. Reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, meaning making a way for all people to come to him, to be freed from shame, to live this different kind of life in relationship with God, redeemed by him, because he no longer counts people's sins against them. And he gave us this message of reconciliation. So in connection with our series, Unashamed, living this unashamed life in the midst of a shameful world, here's the point that when we live truly unashamed, it invites those feeling shame to trust God. When we, when we get freed from trying to somehow protect ourselves from getting exposed It frees us to live an authentic, real life, a peaceful confidence because of what Christ has done. And to a world that's acting, to a world that's ashamed, it's something different. And you might just find it inspires them to want to come to know that same God that you know. You know, the world, what they're really longing for is not a really cool church. They're really not. Some people at church are longing for a really cool church. So we bounce around and we look for the really cool one. But the world that doesn't know Jesus is not looking for really cool. They're looking for real. They might not know that. But what the hearts are longing for, for people all over our culture, are longing to find something authentic. That if you dig down into the depth of that person, you still find what they present on the outside. Something real. And so as we wrap up this series and we think about how is being unashamed connected to us being evangelistic? What I mean is proclaiming the message to the world. Well, just imagine what it would be like if our church, River Run, we were known for these things. That we were unashamed of past sin. What if that were true? That we were unashamed of present weakness that we were unconcerned with convincing people to love us and we were unashamed of inviting people to trust God. And I'll be the first to admit, I'm a work in progress because I sometimes am ashamed of my present weakness. I get embarrassed of that. And I'm sometimes far too concerned with getting people to love me. But I want to tell the right story. 
and at River Run, I want us, we want us to tell the right story to the world. Because nobody needs to love us. No one in the world is like the thing that's going to save their life, transform everything as if they'll love us. Mm -mm. No. The world needs to hear a story of a God that's worthy of trust who frees us from being ashamed of past sins, frees us from, from being ashamed of present weakness, and gives us a life together with him forever. I'm going to pray in just a moment. Before we do, we're going to sing the song Waymaker. And as we do, here's what I want you to think about. We're going to sing the song. We're going to worship God. It's going to be a powerful moment together. But also want us to be open to the reality that guess what? Most of the people in Orlando do not know this song. I know you think everybody knows it because we think everybody is the people that go to other churches. But most of the people in Orlando do not know this song. You know why? Because they don't know this is true. They don't listen to the same music as we do. They don't hear the same songs sung from the stage. And I want you to consider what would it look like for us to live in such a way that we invited the world to know there is a God that makes a way where there is no way, that forgives us and redeems us. There is a God who heals us, who keeps promises, who is a light in the midst of our darkness. Let's consider how we can be the light in the darkness as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you. We love you. You are good. You are faithful. Way more than we are. And God, I pray that you would keep moving us forward, that we would be a people unashamed of our past, unashamed of our present weakness, and unashamed of this gospel we have about you. That we would live in such a way that the world around us would see and hear the life-changing news about who you are and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.